0: Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk.
1: Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you are listening to Ukraine Plus Football. It's
2: head in east, his head in east, his heading for Boos head in east, his head in east, his head in east, his heading for Boos head in east, his head in east, it's head in east, his heading Hello and welcome to another episode of Ukraine Plus Football, the number one English language football podcast on the wonderful world of Ukrainian football. And this week, today, we've got a special. We're going to be focusing solely on Ukraine's key World Cup qualifier against Bosnia away in Zenitsa on Tuesday, the 16th of November. That, as usual, Ukraine have left it to the final day. They never do it the easy way. It's partly in their hands. It's partly not in their hands. It's a big one. And unfortunately, Adam can't join us today, hence why I'm hosting. But we have got Ray. Oh, good, mate. Yeah, looking forward
1: to one of another finals for the national team. And hey, we love to create drama for ourselves. Every year, every chance we get, we need to be there for this final
2: countdown to battle for the precious playoffs. Absolutely. And? As well, to join us from a Bosnian perspective, we've got Harris Murkonya from N1. He's a sports journalist out in Bosnia and he's here to talk to us about this big game. When we first got in touch, I think we both thought this might have bigger implications for both sides. But sadly, after Saturday's game uh, where Finland beats Bosnia, which we'll be discussing later on, it's quite a different story. How are you doing, Harris? And welcome to the show.
0: Uh hello boys. Uh I'm I'm very well, thank you. All things considering I'm I'm fine. I'm I'm okay.
2: Beautiful. And we were talking on DMs earlier in the week. You've got a bit of an affection for Ukrainian football, maybe a Ukrainian footballer in particular. So before we start, give us a bit of a background about um yourself and your Ukrainian connections footballing-wise, if we can put it like that.
0: Yeah, um so Uh, It's a bit of a story because my country in the 1990s was involved in a cruel war and uh, fate would have it that I would uh, have to go uh, to be a refugee in Italy and there in in 1991, but I lived in Italy uh, uh, even before in 1989 and 1990. So uh, my first time in Italy, my first stint, I, I came to love this football club called AC Milan, which at the time had the three tulips, uh, which were Van Basten and Rud Gullit and, um, and Krajka. So I liked the team. And the second time when I had to go, sadly, to, to, to seek refuge in, in Italy while this war, war was raging in, in, in Bosnia and Herzegovina, I uh, continued following uh, AC Milan as my favorite team, and it is uh, still to this day. And uh, there was a young uh, footballer, a young striker called Andriy Shevchenko that, that came to Milan one year. And I was following him uh, even before uh, he came to Milan. He was uh, playing in a Champions League with Dinamo Kiev. And uh, I I thought to myself, my God, would it, wouldn't it be great if this player came to play for AC Milan? Because I saw so much in him uh, that I knew that someday he would win a golden ball. And he did, as you know, uh, probably won the golden ball uh, as the best player in the world playing for AC Milan. So that's my, that's my fascination and love for Ukrainian football or uh, this Ukrainian footballer who was... Uh, at least for a, year, for a year, the
2: best player in the world. Super. Always good to hear. And similarly to yourself, I think Edin Dzeko, um, he's, his icon in footballing terms was also Isha Trenko. So sharing some bits there. We'll come back to the Bosnia side of things in a bit. But me and Ray are just going to quickly discuss what's going on with Ukraine ahead of this one. So Ray, as we know, Ukraine got their ninth one-all draw of 2021 on thursday a one-all game with 36 attempts on goal and they only scored one of them sadly three offside goals Dovbik, yermolenko everyone had a go not much was coming off but it was probably one of the most exciting ukraine games that we've watched in a long time attacking wise is that more to do with the fact that bulgaria were not valid opponents in terms of they, their keepers were having an amazing game, but in general, they were complete pedestrians? Or is it the fact that Petrkov's new formation of four at the back is going to be some sort of revelation on Tuesday that he decided to play with it uh, last week? It's hard to say. Uh, he managed to include all the stars, all the
1: uh, key players uh, from our roster in the, on the, on the pitch. So he had Milenovsky, Zinchenko, and uh, uh, Zubkov involved. Uh, so he didn't uh, need to get someone out, and he also included all four of the defenders. He replaced uh, Mikolenko with Sobol, who had a decent game, in my opinion. Timchik uh, played on the right. Um, I would say that uh, Karavai should uh, be, should appear uh, with Bosnia game. So. A lot of um, um, choices from Petrako were um, probably made because of uh, the friendly nature of the game. But yeah, it wasn't friendly in in the end. Like 36 shots. um, I don't know. I I didn't want to see the players exhausted before the Bosnia game with all these statistics. And uh, let's hope they have some something left in them with all these flights back and forth from Kiev to Sarajevo and uh, from Odessa as well. So uh, I, had, I, have, I had said that before, that uh, I have a bad feeling about this. And after that, after the game, after they drew, now I still, I'm still, i still sure that we're jinxed.
2: Oh, God. So far, you have a prediction. The Champions League one where you said that uh, Dynamo won't score a goal is proving true. So I'm not looking forward to this potentially proving true. Anyway, let's just quickly talk about um, defensively. Okay, Ukraine were very good attacking, other than actually realizing the chances and converting them against some astute goalkeeping. What on earth is going on at the back for Ukraine with just these random goals that they've been conceding this year in particular? Matvienko with some random clearance and then Timchik had no idea what to do there. Was that a mixture of everyone involved at fault, or is it just a slacking because they're playing against Bulgaria? Yeah, it's
1: probably the uh, latter version. But uh, I always keep recalling the events of Czech game, when uh, we started really well with Bulgaria. Like first 20 minutes, we we were demolishing them, and I knew that this this is a sign. Of trouble in the end, in the second half, and that's that's that was wasn't even uh, you know, proved um, by that time because Bulgaria managed to score in the first half. But anyways, uh, I always recall this uh, Czech game, and they were beating us in the first half. They were really good, and we were very lucky. We can recall the Krypto moment when he basically scored his own goal, but somehow we were uh, we were lucky enough. And uh, then, well, it was, it was a complete nightmare with Czech Republic, and uh, yeah, that was not looking good. Again, we drew that one, and that's where all, it all started. And now I keep uh, I keep remembering remembering it, and uh, it just seems like we we played the same way with Bulgaria, and uh, we were so safe and probably so disappointed by the, uh, by the bad luck that we decided to create problems for ourselves. And yet again, uh, this model is not that effective. I mean, Jack proved it, that it, you shouldn't be that uh, active in the start. You shouldn't be um, involving all your forces. So uh, Pet- Petrkov likes this passionate attacking football, and I hope that he would restrain himself from it. Uh, in terms of the first half with Bosnia. I really hope so. Otherwise, well, it's all the same scenario.
2: So like an all systems, go first half and then complete nothing more or less in the second because all energy doubt, all chanced out and all that kind of thing. A lot of people are hoping that Ukraine have wasted all the chances they can possibly waste uh, on Thursday so that they can make up for that on Tuesday. Whether that's the case, we wait to see. Um, They were all eagerly watching the Finland-Bosnia match in the changing room of the Olimpijski yesterday evening uh, from when we're recording this. And it seemed, well, now they know the task at hand. It's not fully in their hands because they need Finland to not win against France. And then they also need, if it's a draw with Finland and France, they need to ensure that Ukraine scores more goals than Finland. So that's at least a 2-0 win or a goal margin of two goals. It looks like that's going to be the main task on Tuesday. So I think it's time to bring Harris back in and find out what happened to Bosnia on Saturday. Why were they so poor? They were against 10 men for like 50 plus minutes. What happened? Give us a bit of an overview of. Uh, yeah, exactly.
0: Well, anyone who's watched the match uh, could see that Bosnia was better and at attacking and pressing high in the first fifteen or twenty minutes of the of the match, and they were better. I mean, we had uh, a couple of chances uh, created with one shot with uh, with Pjanic, one shot with with Smile Prevljak. Of course, Jako not playing was a big blow for Bosnia, but uh, we. Uh, i already knew a couple of days earlier that uh, that his condition wasn't the best and he was probably not going to play so uh, a couple of things that ivailo petev did ivailo petev of course the, the national team manager of bosnia and herzegovina uh, did in uh, in this game he started with a 352 uh system something that we are uh, i think going to see uh, in the match versus ukraine as well uh, giving Sead Kolasinac from Arsenal uh, the left side, as well as Miroslav Stevanovic on the other side, on the right. And those two were acting like uh, running up and down the court and, and uh, attacking and defending uh, uh, at the same time, with uh, Ahmed Vodic, uh, uh, sanicanin and the back three uh, remaining uh, more uh, more back so uh this is a system that he's been using all throughout all of the qualifiers, and uh it's a system that has has given uh, good results against uh teams like france and uh ukraine perhaps uh, even in Yves. Uh so yeah, uh, so we were we were pretty. I don't know. There was an optimism about this game, even if jeko wasn't uh, Dzeko wasn't playing, that we could win and then try to recuperate him for the for the match against Ukraine. I asked uh, Marku Kanerva, the the national team coach of uh, Finland, after the match, uh, what happened after those fifteen twenty minutes that Bosnia really dominated. He said uh, we uh were nervous we were extremely nervous because a, a lot was on the line uh in that in that match and after those two chances uh that bosnia missed they the players relaxed a little bit so they were um they were uh, able to get out for, uh, from the high pressing they were able to uh, uh to get out on the opposition half half and start making chances of their own. Now, uh, from that point on, from the 20th, 20th minute on, the Bosnian defense was in shambles. Uh, Eldar Cevic, the, uh, the third uh, central defender, who is naturally a left back, uh, but he was playing in, in central defense, uh, was our worst player by, by far. And uh, a couple of his mistakes led to the first goal, the, the first uh, Finland lead. And after that, even the second goal, because Temu Pukki just robbed him of the ball uh, in, our, uh, in our area and served, uh, I don't know who scored the second goal. Uh, you have to forgive me, I want to forget this game as soon as possible. So uh, from that point on, Sead uh, Kolashinats got injured. And all of our attack uh, disappeared because Sead Kolashinats on the left side, operating on the left side, was our best player. Um, uh, from that incident and from that foul came also the red card uh, for Finland, but the players weren't, just weren't the same as, as they were uh, at the beginning of the match. I saw hats down, I saw uh, I saw a body language that wasn't uh, that wasn't good, and from then on it was just impossible to uh, impossible to make anything uh, anything work. Uh, at one point in the match, uh, from the 66th uh, or to the 67th minute petev tried to uh, change up a little thing, a little bit. Uh, at one point, we had four creative players on the on the pitch and in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the pitch, which is never advisable. There was Miral Pjanic, there was Rade Krunic, there was uh, Amer Goyak, uh, there was even uh, um, there was even Sanin Przic, who plays in France. They're all naturally the at the number ten spot. So. Uh, after that, he made a couple of more changes. We tried to, uh, we had this goal that was, well, I, I don't want to say lucky, but um, but it came from a free kick uh, from the left side. And Luka Mino was, was in the right spot. And then when we thought that we could maybe get away with a draw and score another goal and get away with a draw, uh, the, the knife, uh, Coup de Gras, uh, came, uh, came uh, with the third goal with O'Shaughnessy. And from there on, I mean there was nothing there was nothing more to do. Uh, Ivai Lopetev, after the match in the press conference was really, really depressed. He said that he didn't understand why we lost this uh, very important match why um, why the players didn't do any any of the things that they uh, were uh, doing in training and that they um, that they said they they would be doing against uh, against Finland. And yeah, so uh, Bosnia is now out of the uh, playoff picture, and uh, many players from the starting eleven probably would not be playing uh, in the get, in the match against Ukraine. Jeko uh, certainly won't won't be playing because he flew to Italy today after the morning session and lunch that he had uh, with the, the rest of the team. Sead Kolashinets will not play due to the injury that he got against Finland. So um, if I, I heard you talk about you being jinxed. I mean, come on, man. We are jinx personified. So uh, if you don't win this match, you will definitely be more jinxed than Bosnia and
2: Herzegovina. Yep, and it would just turn out that we both don't deserve it to be at the World Cup, uh, regardless of what happens. Just from the sounds of the, g- no, <laughs> the but general I, consensus, I,
0: I really, I really don't believe that that Finland, whoever, whoever France decides to field. I don't. I don't believe that Finland has uh, has the potential to, to to beat them or or to get a a, a draw, because uh, for for they're not they're not a kind of team that that should be playing for these playoffs. I I think that Ukraine naturally are the second best uh, team in in this group, and um, uh, if if Finland by by some magic, if they beat France, I will be very, very surprised.
2: I think we all will be, but we just know what football is like, sadly. Um, so, yeah, you've mentioned the squad news there. So, Dzeko is obviously out. Um, is it likely that the manager will be giving, I don't know, some second stringers, potential start? Yes, yes. As I, as I
0: said, Dzeko and Kolasinac are out and Iwai Lopetev, uh, we asked him uh, actually because we don't have, we don't have any chance to qualify anymore for the playoffs. What will the team look like? And he said, no, also I can't tell you much more. Uh, I know that you're going to make some changes. I don't know where. Uh, perhaps, uh, uh, perhaps in midfield. Perhaps Pjanic won't play at all uh, because it, it's there's no use in in uh, uh, in trying to play him if. He's not playing for something, you know? And I expect at least three or four second stringers, as you, uh, as you call them, uh, to take the field against, uh, against
2: Ukraine because this match doesn't mean a whole lot for us. Understandable. Cool. So just before I guess we move on to mine and Ray's predictions on lineups, why is this match in Zenitsa? Um, because obviously Sarajevo, the team is based there. You've also got your a couple stadiums in Sarajevo. What? Why does the team always play in uh, Bihać, about an hour's away from Sarajevo? I'm just quite interested to know.
0: Well, after the war, the football, in, uh, the sports infrastructure in general, but football infrastructure in particular was uh, was a write-off, uh, especially in Sarajevo, which was uh, surrounded and bombarded every single day. Uh, for so long, for years and years, for, I think more than four years. Uh, so we didn't have; nobody had the money uh, to uh, renovate the stadiums and and make them uh, make them uh, venues that you could use in in qualifiers matches. Um, people in Zenica were a little bit smarter about it. They contacted UEFA. They uh, uh, Summon some, some of their, uh, some of their, uh, uh, we say, how do you, how do you call them, the businessmen, the, the people, the, some people that are richer than others, to to invest in, the, in the stadium and make a place where uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, and the national team could have a footballing home. So uh, they did that, and they have they have played in Zenica in the Bilinopolia Stadium for years. And uh, at, one po- uh, at one point, uh, Zenica has become um, a fortress of bosnian and football, where it was notoriously difficult to to win and to get points away from the. Today is a little bit um, a little bit different, but the atmosphere at the stadium and the geographic location of Zenica in Bosnia and Herzegovina as well, which is at uh, roughly at the center of the of the country. Uh, made it so that everyone that wanted to see the match didn't have to travel that far to 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 see the national uh, to see the national team. Uh, so that's that's one of the reasons why uh, also why uh, Bosnia plays in Zenica, and that's one of the reasons why they uh, also took some UEFA money to build a training center not far away from the Bilinopolia stadium. So when they're preparing, they're they're still preparing in Zenica uh, and having privacy and closed walls where they can well, where they where they can prepare their best. Uh, so so those are the reasons. Now uh, it's not uh, uh, it's not a rarity for the national team to play in Sarajevo at the Grbavica Stadium from the uh, owned by uh, FK Jeliznicar. Uh, home of Edin Dzeko, by the way, which he started uh, his career at that, at that club. The stadium has been completely renovated. Uh, the pitch has been done uh, new, completely. And uh, now Bosnia-Herzegovina has two stadiums where uh, they can play. But they still, in the majority of the cases, choose Zenica because of the tradition and because of the, uh, because of the history of that stadium and everything that happened there while playing at the Pilinopolje, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina won their first berth at a big competition, the, the World Cup. So that place still uh, is kind of a uh, kind of special to everyone.
2: Wonderful, cool. And I think just a final question from me. Over the past couple of weeks, there's been like snip and snap news of fans will be allowed, fans won't be allowed, or away fans this is. Uh, Finland fans were apparently banned and then a number of them still were allowed in the end. It was very last minute. I'm pretty sure, but it was probably the the fans that had already planned to come out that eventually were allowed in. And Ukraine fans are also planning, I think in not massive numbers, but in a fair amount of a few groups are traveling. Evidently, I think some of them may have got some tickets in the home end or whatever. Some are looking for away end tickets if they become available I've still not seen any sort of written information from the UAF or anything like that. Maybe it will be available on match day at the gates or something. But um what's the situation with that? Is it to do with COVID or is it the fact that the Bosnian football union wanted the advantage of no away fans or something like that? No, I mean in
0: Bosnia and in Zenitz in particular, the most fans, the most away fans that I've seen is like a couple of hundred. So and those were coming from I think Ireland once and Wales that they had the most uh, away fans coming to, coming to an away match. Uh, So it's not like a huge amount because Bili Nopoli is a stadium that has the capacity of, I think around 15,000. And when you, uh, when you take into account that UEFA doesn't want the fans to be too close to each other, that rows have to be empty and so on, it's like 12,000. So you have, you have eleven thousand five hundred fans uh, that cheer for Bosnia, and maybe five hundred fans that, that cheer for for another team. Uh, so it's not it's not that uh, the the COVID situation has been really serious in the in the last couple of years in Bosnia, and uh, the FB pushing it with the with the measures that uh, uh, that they implemented for uh, away fans and domestic fans. I don't know if you know this but domestic fans uh, on uh, on uh, when following the national team could not bring in uh, either flags or uh, any kind of uh, any kind of uh, fan stuff you know hats or or trumpets or anything that made noise because they said that uh, waving and i don't know uh Uh, uh, waving with flags and and doing all this stuff increases the possibility of transmission of the coronavirus, which is ludicrous. But, uh, I mean, that was the situation until, until I think, a month ago or two months ago where uh, the FA finally uh, wanted to bring as many fans as they could into the stadium. So a full capacity was... Um, uh, a full capacity was uh, uh, was authorized, but not for the away fans that were coming from third countries and uh, whose situation with whose COVID, COVID situation wasn't really known. So that was one of the measures that remained. Uh, then, as I gathered, uh, the f- the Finnish uh, uh, football association. Uh, wrote to UEFA, uh, stating that they had the rights for their fans to uh, to come and, and and see the match because the uh, the stadium was on full capacity, and in the end they 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 won. And I think uh, like a hundred uh, Finland supporters were in the stadium. India.
2: Yeah, I've heard similar stories about Ukrainian uh, UAF who wrote a letter to. UEFA as well because apparently the delegation that UAF were planning on bringing wasn't given its full quota either. So as in all the millions of ambassadors that we know, Ray, that UAF has with their multiple vice presidents. That's interesting and I'm hoping that come, well, Tuesday, it may not be the biggest atmosphere from the home fans just on the basis of you've not got much to play for, Harris. But hopefully, oh, I forgot,
0: I forgot to, I forgot to tell you. After we lost to Finland, I mean, the 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 tickets are usually sold for twenty km, which is like ten euros for the uh, western stand and the eastern stand. I think fifteen for the north and south. Uh, where the uh, biggest, uh, most fiery fans are. After we uh, lost to Finland, they're now 2km.
2: (laughs) So basically one euro. Amazing. Um, So I think Ukraine fans will have the chance of getting in somehow uh, (laughs) when it comes to it on Tuesday. Anyway, um, moving on, Ray, I think it's time to look forward to what Ukraine have got coming up. So they've touched down in Sarajevo. On Sunday night. They're going to have training in Zenica on Monday night and then the big game on Tuesday night. So that's the schedule. Probably have a a training session on the game day as well in the morning, as is customary from Petrikov's sides. He didn't have one against Bulgaria, but I think it's because that was such a slack match that there was no need to overtrain before a friendly in the first place. How are we thinking he's going to line up? Personally, I think he might revert back to his usual thing. I think he was just experimenting against Bulgaria. I'm sure he liked what he saw, but I think something about the defensive stability, uh, just with those two centre-backs, he might not have enjoyed watching that. Personally, I thought Zinchenko played really well when he was switched back to left-back. He wasn't playing amazingly when he was in the middle. And I think he may start there because he was certainly more effective than Sobol was uh, come the second half when Ukraine were just relentless in attack. And then in the middle, if they're going to be playing with two, Shaparenko was rested entirely for this game. I think he's going to come back in regardless of whatever happens. And then obviously we need Stepanenko in the middle, not just for his worldies, that he scores once every five years, but for his defensive capabilities, and then Kovtsov, Zabarny, who has also missed the first game, will come back in alongside Matvienko, who obviously struggled when he tried to run in on that right-hand side. How do you see it going and what do you think he's going to go for? Is he going to surprise us again? Is he going to go for some sort of cold shoulder? And then is Ukraine going to somehow pull off a big win and shock everyone?
1: Uh, as, as you were saying that, Andrew, I imagine how would we talk... Would we, have, would we have talked about uh, Petrakov and national team after the game? So let's just imagine it's long after the Bosnia game. And what do we have to discuss? Let's just, let's just do it this way I'll give you a line, and then you give me a next line, and then I'll go to midfield, and then you end with strikers. Okay, so I'll give you uh, Bushan. All right. Uh, then mine is defense line um, Karavayev, Zabarny. I don't see Matvienko in the squad. So, probably Krivtsov, the left,
2: and Timczyk on the right. That is a very bold, and don't see that happening at <laughs> all. <laughs> um, midfield for me, it's got to be Shaparenko and Stepanenko in the middle. I think he's going to go for two, but if he goes for three, obviously just add Malinovsky in there and take away one of those centre-backs that we just discussed.
1: Okay, and the striker, well, I would like to see Garmash, you know. He deserved it. And uh, uh, although Petrikov did not opt, to, well, he... He used him as a sub remember he, his reaction on goal was priceless and this reaction alone uh, deserves uh,
2: makes him and not option one for a striker position so i'll go for how much see you're just in fantasy world i'm just gonna go for the realist approach we've got obviously Yerbonenko on the right hand side left hand side in my opinion zubkov Probably has played a bit better than Sankov in recent matches, but I think Sankov's going to start there anyway just because of the name that he has got and the link-up play he had in the Finland game last month. They played pretty well there. And then Yerimshuk up top, who just added a different dynamic in terms of uh, connectivity, telepathy with Yerimolenko and even uh, Sankov once they all came together. In general, that team... On paper, should definitely have enough against an unmotivated Bosnia team. Whether that happens in real life, we will see on Tuesday. Anyway, I think that is all for today's show. We're keeping our fingers crossed that we can still start discussing about Ukraine in the future. Going to the World Cup, uh, the World Cup playoffs first, obviously in March. They'll need to come first. Hopefully the journey is not over just yet. But we're going to have to say thank you to Harris. Uh, thank you for joining us, Harris. If anyone wants to connect with you on social media, where's the best place for them to find you?
0: Yeah, I use Twitter a lot uh, for uh, for my job. Uh, so you can find me on at Harris Merconia N one, uh, no dots, no nonsense. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll I will be at the at the match in the press stand, and anyone who can't see the match for any reason I'll be uh, I'll be tweeting a lot uh, perhaps a bit more critically about the Bosnian uh, about the Bosnian team but uh, yeah uh, if you want to if you want to follow me that would be, be great
2: lovely thank you and Ray where's the best place for people to follow you it's Instagram and casual another great episode it's been fun guys you can follow me at Zory Londonsk on Instagram and Twitter And also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Ukraine Plus Football. A brand new vlog from Odessa will be out by the time you're listening to this. So warm up for this big game by watching that one. And it's until the next time, hopefully we'll be having some positive news to talk about in next week's episode. Thank you and good night.